the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. From the moment of your salvation, God has been at work in you, creating a desire to obey Him. That's what He means to will. He's creating a desire to obey Him. That's why a believer wants to obey. It is God at work in you, both to will. That means he desi- you desire it because he's put that desire in you. That's why you desire No one believer desires to obey the word of God. But not only that, he's also working in you, not only creating a desire to obey him, but he's giving you the power to obey him. And that's what Paul means when he says to will and to work for his good pleasure. Spiritual growth is not a spectator sport. God is heavily involved in our growth. In fact, we could not even be saved, let alone grow in Christ, without God's Spirit working in us. He teaches us and He empowers us. But let's not ever forget that He's teaching us to do that which He has empowered us to do for His glory and for our spiritual maturity. If we just sit back and wait for it to happen, we'll be waiting a long time. Our topic today on Verse by Verse is Pursuing Spiritual Growth, as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues his series of messages titled, God's Provisions for Our Spiritual Growth. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-8, through 8, Peter told us, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, we can see that our spiritual growth does take work, and God doesn't do it all for us. Listen now as Pastor Steve continues the message we started in our last broadcast. This is a very, very practical portion of Scripture for several reasons. First of all, spiritual growth is a key issue in our lives. There are some Christians who have not grown spiritually like they should, and I think one reason is because they've not been taught how to grow. They've not been taught. They have to grow a little bit or you're not a believer. There has to be some fruit there, but they've not been taught how to grow. Or perhaps they've, they've been taught an unbalanced view of growth, like my roommate who's sort of waiting, I guess, for God to just do it all. And so if you don't have the right theology of growth, you won't grow properly. There are some others who actually go the other extreme. They, they put all human effort into it, and they don't understand God's role in it. So uh, Peter is going to help us out because he's going to give you a balanced view about spiritual growth. Secondly, other people's lack of spiritual growth may indicate that they never really have trusted Christ. You know, there are many people who go to church and are associated with, with Christians Uh, who can talk a good talk, but you know what? There's nothing happening in their lives spiritually. They can tell you that they were a child when they prayed to receive Christ, 
but maybe they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s now, and, and when you question them, well, what's happened since that time? Have you ever grown? Have you ever noticed a change in your life? Do you have a desire to obey? No. No. Listen, I understand there are times of backsliddenness in a Christian's life, and there can be carnal behavior, but um, when someone claims to know Christ and has never grown, that's not, that's not backslidden. They, they didn't even go far enough to slide back. They didn't receive Christ. That means like they were spiritually stillborn. That they, they did not come to know Christ. There has to have been some type of growth. If there was no growth, there's no life. As Chuck Swindoll says, if you've got the root, let's see the fruit. So, so their life has never indicated any relationship with him. Peter's teaching is very helpful at this point because you don't want to continue like that. You don't want to be self-deceived. You want, don't want to be satanically deceived either thinking that I made this profession, yes, I must be a believer. But Peter tells us, and he wrote to many Christians here, listen, make sure of your election and calling. You may feel uncomfortable about that. You may feel, but I, but I know I'm a believer. Yeah, but if there's no evidence, you don't know you're a believer. Don't have false assurance. So I think Peter's, Peter's counsel here is very helpful. Number three, on the other hand, there are some people who really do know Christ, but and there's evidence in their lives, but these poor souls who know him lack assurance that they know him. And I, and I know how horrible it is because for many years of my Christian life, uh, I didn't have the assurance of my salvation. And I know there are others like that. These folks do not lack salvation. They just lack the assurance of it. They are saved. They just continue to doubt, and it's a, it's a miserable kind of existence. Well, Peter's going to help you there too, because as you see growth, as you see evidence in your life, you can rest assured that you really know Christ because unbelievers don't grow spiritually. They don't have life. They don't have spiritual life to mature, so they can't grow. If these things are happening in your life, the things we're going to go over this morning, and and there are other passages of Scripture, especially 1 John, that address this issue, but if you see growth in these areas in your life, you know that you that you know him, and you can know that you can know that you can know him. So, having said that, this is the background of these verses. Peter tells us, and this is this is really the summary of the whole passage: how to grow so that we'll be fruitful Christians and be assured of our salvation. That's what this is about. Okay. Having said that, if you're taking notes, and I'd encourage you to do that, we're going to look at uh, three key truths about spiritual growth. Three key truths about spiritual growth. This is a theology of spiritual growth. Uh, We're only going to look at one of these key truths this morning, and Lord willing, next Sunday we'll look at the other two key truths about spiritual growth. So the first one, what is the first key truth that you and I need to know in order to grow? It is this. I'd mark this down. The requirement for spiritual growth is diligence. It's diligence. It's, It's human effort, and I'll explain that in a moment. Let's see how Peter teaches this. He says in in verse 5, beginning of verse 5, Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence. Peter starts off this section by connecting it to what he's just said in the previous two verses. And what has he told us up to this point? As, As we just went over, he has informed us that God has given us all we need to grow spiritually, his word and a divine nature. Now, in light of the fact that God has given us everything we need to grow, Peter says, you've got a responsibility. It's not going to happen automatically. The provisions are there, but you need to do something in order to grow. And what do we need to do? Notice verse 5 again. We need to be applying all diligence. Applying all diligence or make every effort to grow in the Lord. It's interesting. Peter uses a Greek word here, translated diligence or effort, 
But it goes beyond that. It speaks of zeal. It speaks of eagerness, quick movement, haste. So the thought is that that not only am I to to be uh, making some effort, but I'm to to be zealous in this. So there, I'm to put some real strain and 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 activity into this. So exert some strenuous effort and diligence in pursuing the goal of spiritual maturity. Listen, you are not going to grow up spiritually unless you do something about it. It won't happen by osmosis. It's not happening automatically, even if you have, and, and as believers, we do have the word, we do have a divine nature. Even with all that, unless you do something, it's not going to take place. Now, as I said before, this bothers a lot of Christians because it just doesn't seem to compute with our view of God as the one who works in our hearts to bring about change. You know what? It's true. God is the only one who can bring about change. No question about that. In fact, Romans 8, 28 and 29 tell us that God is so sovereign, he uses all things to, he works it all together for everything in our lives to be used to to make us more like Christ. That's what he means by all things work together for good. So God is the one doing that. And so the question is, if if it is God at work in us to make us like Christ, then why do we need to do anything? Well, I'd like you to see a passage of scripture that clarifies this. Uh, let's look at Philippians. Turn back a few books to Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2. It's really the same thing that Peter is saying, but Paul is perhaps a little more pointed, a little more succinct. In two verses, he sort of wraps it all up. But Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 12, and we'll look at verse 12 and 13. Paul writes to this uh, church that he thought very highly of and that loved him dearly, the Philippians He says, so then, my beloved, verse 12, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. He said, you obeyed when I was there, and I know you're obeying when when I'm gone. And he was in prison. He wrote this from prison. He said, I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I want you to notice what Paul really said. He didn't say that we're to work for our salvation. He said to work out your salvation. No one can work for their salvation and get it. I mean, people can work for it, but it's not going to happen because the Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith alone. There's nothing we can do. It is God's gift to us. When Jesus Christ died, he said, it is finished. The work is over and he did the work. We simply trust the finished work of Christ. So Paul never would teach and is certainly not teaching here that there's anything we can do for our salvation. So he didn't say work for your salvation. He said, work out your salvation. Now, what did he mean by that? Well, it's interesting. The Greek word that's translated work out means to bring something to completion or to work to to full completion. But in ancient Greek literature, this word was used of extracting out minerals that were in a mine or, or working a field so as to get the greatest harvest possible. In other words, it was bringing something out of what was already in there. So what does it mean in terms of our salvation? You and I are to mine out of our lives what God has already deposited in our lives in terms of salvation, that new life in Christ, the eternal life, the life he gave us. We are to work out in daily conduct the new life that God has already given us. So someone might think, but isn't that human effort? Isn't it all human effort? Doesn't that remove the Lord from the process of change? We're just to do the work. It doesn't remove the Lord from it because verse 13 follows this and clarifies it and explains it. Paul says, for it is God who is at work in you, 
God's the one at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. From the moment of your salvation, God has been at work in you, creating a desire to obey him. That's what he means, to will. He's creating a desire to obey him. That's why a believer wants to obey. It is God at work in you, both to will. That means he desi- you desire it because he's put that desire in you. That's why you desire it. No one believer desires to obey the word of God. But not only that, he's also working in you, not only creating a desire to obey him, but he's giving you the power to obey him. And that's what Paul means when he says to will and to work for his good pleasure. The work is the power. Not only do you desire to do what's right, what the Bible says, but you actually have the power to do that. And that really is where the divine nature comes in. That's precisely what Peter is talking about. He tells us to make every effort to grow spiritually. We are to cultivate the very life that has already been given in us. All of those attributes that we talked about are there. Spiritual life, Christ life. But this effort comes from a God-given desire and power to grow. So no, we don't bypass the Lord. The Lord is involved. It's not all human effort. It's not something I do in my flesh. But it is effort that God gives us the strength, the power, and the desire to do. The important principle to keep in mind in all of this is that pursuing spiritual growth will never happen unless you make some effort. There is no room in the Christian life for laziness. There is no room in the Christian life for laziness. You will never grow like you should unless you discipline yourself to put some effort into it. This is precisely what Paul meant in 1 Timothy 4.7 when he said, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. With the same kind of commitment that an athlete has to training, you and I are to train ourselves for the purpose of godliness. That's what Peter means here. Put some effort into it. If you're lazy, you're not going to grow like you should. You must put some effort with the strength that God has given you. Now, what specifically are we to put some effort into? That's the general principle. What, how exactly do we pursue spiritual maturity? Well, Peter continues by spelling out and giving us seven virtues that we are to add to our faith. You and I, you and I are to make an effort in these areas. Notice as he continues in verse 5, it says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply, and then he lists seven things. Now we said before, the reason he says in your faith supply is you already have faith. If you're a Christian, God has given you faith. You didn't muster it up by yourself. We have the same faith that the apostles had. That's the very first message that we, that we gave on this, and we stress that. It's not only that salvation is God's gift to us, which is true, but it is the faith that's a gift. We were dead in sins and trespasses. We, we couldn't just turn around and, and have faith. God is the one who gave it to us. So on top of that faith that God has given, now we're to make an effort to add to it or supply lavishly, the thought is, our faith. These virtues, by the way, are already in you. They're already in you in the sense that God gave them to us when he implanted his life in us at the new birth. But now we are to cultivate these godly character qualities as we develop in our relationship with the Lord. And folks, that's spiritual growth. So let's begin to look at these seven character qualities that need to be cultivated every day in our lives. And we never stop. There's always a a desire in our hearts to have more of this. But if you see any of this in your life, then you're growing. You're growing. You're never to be satisfied with your spiritual growth. 
You always want to be more and more like Christ. But this is where it all starts. He says in verse 5, in your faith, number one, supply moral excellence. This word uh, is, is, a, is not the easiest word to figure out from the New Testament. And I'll tell you why. It isn't mentioned many times in the New Testament. And um, if we had the New Testament alone, it would actually be a difficult word to figure out how the writers used it. But fortunately, this word was used in a lot of, of secular Greek literature. And so when we see from the time, that era, how this word was used, we have a better idea of, of what its meaning was. And, and in ancient literature, this word was used to refer to moral courage, to bravery. It's an action word. It's an involvement word. It's, a, it's an energy word. It's a word of activity. What Peter is saying is that we are to be putting our faith into practice. In other words, make sure that you are not passive and inactive, waiting for something to happen. Instead, we are to have a faith that we fight for. That's what Paul meant when he said, I have fought the good fight of faith. It's applying your faith to every situation in life. We're to exercise as we apply the word of God to our lives. Now, is that the kind of faith you have? Or is your faith something that if somebody talks about your faith, you say, well, it happened 25 years ago, I received Christ. And that, that's it. That's all it, ha- that's all it goes. That's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about a faith that is stagnant or lethargic. or is, He's talking about faith that's active. It's really what James tells us, be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's also what James said and, and when he said faith without works is dead. If you have a faith that's not working, it's dead faith. It's not the faith God has given you. That kind of faith is a faith that, that you are to be diligent with. So that's what he's talking about. To your faith, uh, add diligence. Add moral courage. Add a fight to it. Put, put a little activity behind it. Be involved. Apply the word of God to life situations. Number two, he doesn't stop there. He says in verse five, we go on, and in your moral excellence, that means that you, you have some, some moral pursuit, pursuing something in your faith. But in your moral excellence, he says, add knowledge. Supply knowledge. A growing Christian doesn't have activity alone. He doesn't just have bravery or moral courage or, or excellence of virtue alone. He doesn't just have zeal. He, he adds the quality of knowledge. And let me tell you why this is so important. If you just have a lot of activity and you're just applying your faith all over the place without knowledge, you're going to have zeal without knowledge and you're going to use a lot of energy that's, that's absolutely wasted uncontrolled spiritual zeal and activity doesn't help anybody grow. And there are some, some people like that. They have a lot of zeal, but they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. The knowledge that he's talking about here is knowledge of the will of God. It's knowledge of the word of God. And you know who is the best example of, of a Bible character who had a lot of, of zeal and a lot of activity but didn't have knowledge, it's Peter himself. Peter himself. The Gospels portray Peter as an impulsive man, as a uh, man of uncontrolled energy who often made rash statements, rushed into doing things that only later got him in trouble. He's the, the man many of us can relate to, open, open mouth, insert foot. That was Peter. It was Peter's lack of spiritual knowledge that landed him in all kinds of trouble. Let me just remind you of a a few of these. Remember in John chapter 13, 
The Lord is uh, waiting. This is the night he's going to be arrested and betrayed. He's waiting for one of the disciples to wash the feet of the others. Because in, in that day, they, they reclined when they ate. And uh, if your feet were not clean, they were in somebody's face or close to it. You wanted some clean little tootsies there. So, so Jesus waited. Usually it was the servants of the home or the, the youngest, and nobody did it. So one of the greatest majestic pictures of, uh, of the servanthood of Christ, he puts on an apron, customary in those days, and he begins, the God of the universe humbles himself to begin to wash the disciples' feet. And when he gets to Peter, Peter says this incredible statement. Only Peter had the gall to say things like this to the Lord. He did it on a number of occasions. He said, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. I mean, I can't imagine. I guess I can't imagine, but uh, saying that to the Lord, because I'd probably do the same thing. But Peter did that. He said, Lord, never will you wash my feet. Remember what Jesus said, if I don't wash you, Peter, uh, you have no part with me. Because Jesus was demonstrated, demonstrating humility and servanthood. He was also demonstrating that they needed to be cleansed. And Peter says, well, if that's the case, give me a whole bath. Wash me all over. But, but he made that rash kind of stupid statements. He sees what Jesus is doing. He has a lot of zeal, but he doesn't have knowledge. It only gets worse with Peter. Later on, or, or actually earlier in the Gospels, Peter uh, and all the other disciples are being told by Jesus that he would go to the cross. He explains that he will be crucified, that the Jewish leaders as well as the Gentiles will crucify him. And Peter actually rebukes the Lord. I mean, in, before we told you, they just said, no, you'll never do this, Lord. But now he actually rebukes him and he says, God forbid it, Lord. I mean, imagine telling God, that God forbid this, what he just said. That's amazing. He said, this shall never happen to you. I mean, Peter didn't know what he's talking about. And that's where Jesus turned to him and said, get thee behind me, Satan, for you don't know what you're talking about. And you're, you're just thinking of what man wants. Remember, it was Peter who denied the Lord three times. But you know what led up to that? Jesus is telling his, uh, his disciples that when he's arrested, they're going to scatter. He said, you're all going to forsake me. The, the shepherd will be taken and the sheep will scatter. And Peter makes this absolutely arrogant statement. He said, Lord, though all men will forsake you, not me. You know, these guys who you've been with for three years, I'm a cut above them. I know these guys, they'll forsake you, but not me. And Jesus rebukes him and says, Peter, not only will you forsake me, you're the one who's going to deny me three times. I mean, you put that, and there are other statements too in the Gospels. Peter was doing this constantly. I mean, he's on the Mount of Transfiguration and he gets this bright idea to start building homes there. And, and that's when a voice comes from heaven and says, this is my beloved son, hear him. In other words, Peter, we don't want to hear you. You listen to him. So Peter is the perfect example of a man who had zeal, but lacked spiritual knowledge. He didn't understand that what Jesus was doing, washing his feet. He didn't understand what Jesus was doing and going to the cross. And he certainly didn't understand that he wasn't any better than any of the other disciples. And so now it's years later. Peter is an old man. He knows he's going to die soon. And he sits, he sits down to write this letter with incredible understanding that the only way to grow is to make sure that you have knowledge added to your zeal. Peter's the perfect example of this, and that knowledge is the enlightenment that comes from God's Word. Listen, are you increasing in your knowledge of the Word of God? Do you know more about biblical principles today than you knew six months ago? 
I'm glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For information about Lakeside, visit www.lakesidechapel.com or call the office at 727-441-1714. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside. We depend on the grace of God and the generosity of listeners like you to continue producing and airing these daily radio Bible classes. So thank you for your gifts and prayers. If you'd like to help support Verse by Verse, we have a special giving page on our website that's a secure and convenient method of giving. Go to versebyverseradio.org and click the link to the giving page. Or you can give by phone by calling Lakeside at the number I just mentioned, 727-441-1714. That web address again is versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. If you remember from our previous program, Pastor Steve has been teaching from 2 Peter chapter 1. In verses 5 through 7, Peter listed seven virtues we need to add to our faith if we want to grow in Christ. We've looked closely at the first two so far. On the next verse by verse, hold on to your hats because Pastor Steve will be moving quickly through those other five Christ-like qualities that will help us to please and glorify the Lord. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse by W two sixty two CP. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.